You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. This is episode 91. I'm your host, Brandon, and today I have with me Julie O'Brien and Richard J. Kleimenhaeg, authors of the new cookbook, Fresh and Fermented, 85 Delicious Ways to Make Fermented Carrots, Kraut, and Kimchi Part of Every Meal. And they are also the founders of Firefly Kitchens. Thank you for joining me today and welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I want to really get into your book very soon because it's, it's a great book, by the way. But first... Let's talk about your food business. When did you start Firefly Kitchens and what inspired you to get into this world of fermentation? We both actually have our own, our own stories and our own a- a- approaches to that. But for me, it goes back almost 13 years and I was on my own health journey at that point. I didn't even realize it was, was a health journey. I was just looking for maybe even a, a better way or a healthy way of, uh, of eating. And through nourishing traditions, Sally Fallon's cookbook, and just learning that way of eating and learning about fermenting. That was my, my eye-opener into fermenting. And just starting to eat that way 13 years ago, it just it, it truly changed my life and it improved my health and these heart palpitations that I was having. Prior to that, they actually went away just from eating, eating in this way. So it was health reasons for you, Richard. Yes. What about you, Julie? Was, was, what was it for you? So mine was sort of a, a midlife change, not to be confused with a midlife crisis, but <laughs> I, I went back to a school when my kids both got into school and started a nutritional therapy training program where we were being trained to work one-on-one with people and help them change their diets through better nutrition and, and the addition of supplements. And the very first week of class, we were told to order the book Nourishing Traditions. And in there, I discovered fermented foods and the incredible health benefits. And it just sort of derailed me. (laughs) And I started fermenting in my kitchen. And it, it just sort of took off from there. I knew that there was this incredible secrets of sauerkrauts that needed to get out there. And now they're not so secret anymore, but it's exciting to be part of something that's been around forever that we're sharing with many. And when did you make the leap to actually creating a product? Well, so Richard and I met about six and a half years ago through a mutual food person in town here. And we started talking about, should we make bone broth, sauerkraut? You know, we were just sort of both enamored with these traditional foods. And once we were introduced, we we realized, okay, we could do something like this together. I, I didn't actually have a background in mass cooking large amounts and, and so I did an internship at Three Stone Hearth in Berkeley, and Julie came down, volunteered during that time. We got to work together, and I uh, go, yeah, yeah, this is this could actually be this could actually be fun. And when we got back to Seattle, it was like, okay, how we how are we going to do this? How are we going to make this happen? As Julie mentioned, it was well, there's a, a void of naturally fermented foods that are done properly that you can actually go buy in the store. And I was like, let's do that. That'll be the one. And the, uh, the, the next trick was, okay, where are we going to do this? Because you have to have a, a certified space at that time anyway. And so it was, a, it was a trick to find a commercial kitchen where we could produce, you know, these large, larger amounts of, of kimchi and uh, all of the other krauts that we make. When you transitioned from what seems smaller scale to a larger scale. What was what was that transition like? Well, like Richard said, we started off, you know, we both started off on our own. Then we started doing all these testing phases. We got our first 30 liter harsh proc. And you know, once we produced 66 jars from that and it was successful the second time in a row, we we're like, wow, what are we going to do with all this? And 
at that point, the farmer's market who we were in discussions with said, oh, you'll blow through that in one day. You need to produce a lot more. So we jumped up to the stainless fermenting tank and then we found a catering company that let us use their space after hours. And then once the smells and the once, you know, we got our second one and our third one and then the smells started taking over the space and the architects upstairs didn't like the smell of the kimchi. So we were sort of thrown out on the street, not thrown out on the street, but, but advised to find our own space. So we, we just hit the town, put the word out, and we, we found a place about a half a mile away, um, right in Ballard. And just it was an old, it's an industrial area, and we just put our heart and, and energy into creating a, a it's about 1,700 square feet. And we grew into it over the last couple of years. So it was a pretty, pretty smooth transition. The kids used to we, play soccer in the place, and, <laughs> and now there's now we're we're bursting at the seams once again. Yeah, we grew we grew into that space, and then quickly grew out of it, as Julie mentioned. And now now it's become painful, but we're still there. Do you have plans then to transition again in the in the near future? That talk about publicly? It needs to happen. It needs to happen because. We, we just got a container dropped in the side yard. Like we have a pop-up brewery that moved in next to us called Populux and it's a fantastic Seattle company and they got a 40 foot shipping container to help turn into their refrigerator. So we got one of those and, um, to try to create our a fermentation room. And then it just, it's challenging enough, you know, moving, moving these large heavy tanks on multi-surface up bumps down driveways so there's got to be something better for us out there (laughs) so we can grow smoothly you mean it's not this like this romantic ideal that people have of fermentation (laughs) in on the large scale there is no romance there my friend (laughs) and that's that's why we have no problem at all sharing the information and sharing fermentation because anyone that learns anyone that takes our classes we we call those our ambassadors of kraut (laughs) <laughs> and we know that they're, you know, they're going to try it. They'll make it themselves. If if they're really go getters, they'll just keep making it. But you know, every so often they may want a special flavor, or it's like, you know what? I don't want to make this anymore myself because I don't want to have to go buy seven heads of cabbage and shred them all up and and start this batch, and then all of a sudden have too much. I'm just going to go buy Firefly, and and so it it's been great sharing, and people get very excited about it. But yeah, the the romance, the. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say the romance is over, but uh, the reality has set in. And, and since that reality set in, it sounds like maybe there was a part of you that uh, going into this, it was a little bit of a different mindset. Did it change over over time? Well, I think the bottom line is you have to sell a lot of food to be profitable. And so if I think if we had really kept the business, just built it up, selling through farmers markets and really focusing on the local and staying sort of small scale, it would sort of pencil out differently. When you start getting a little bit further and wider, you're paying distributors and brokers and it's just a different it's it's just a different scenario than the the great farmers market and barter system which which we all love. So yeah. it, there's a lot to it. Well, and I think that like talking about selling more product, I have to assume that like you guys are award winning. So could you talk a little bit about the Good Food Awards? Say for anyone that maybe not familiar with it, and then talk about how many awards you've actually won. Well, you know the thing that was so exciting is we were just really want, we were less than a we were just a year old. And 
we had been selling through the farmers markets and the the market master came over and said hey there's this new award in in the bay area called the good food awards and this is this is right up your alley this is your food and the awards basically celebrate <clears throat> traditional authentic and tasty food and um that's us so we sent off three three of our different flavors and our yin yang carrots won that first year and the good food awards just basically celebrates um most everything that's in it is all fermented, you know, chocolate, coffee, beer, charcuterie, pickles, preserves. The preserves aren't, and it's grown over the last five years. But we feel really lucky that we've we went on to win. Um, we've won we've won four awards the last four years, and this year, this January, we're our one of ours is up for it's a finalist. So it feels pretty good to be. Um, called out for the last five years in a row. And you mentioned a lot of these things being fermented. I mean, the first time that I was familiar with Good Food Awards was was through coffee. But in in your category, what is your category? Are you competing against other fermented foods or, or something broader? Initially, it was something broader, and it could be any type of pickle. And so people have a, a wide definition for that word, pickle. Ours tends to be pickle equals vinegar, and uh, lacto-fermented or naturally fermented equals, you know, a salt-based for naturally fermented product. And so we were tied together with all of those in the beginning. And then they realized or be, it became more clear to them that just how different those two products are and even the health nature of those two products. And so they've actually broken that out into uh, two, separate, two separate areas. And, um, but the one thing they have now done is added in uh, kombucha. And um, as a, a naturally fermented product, so the competition keeps getting uh, higher and higher. Oh wow! So you're competing with your vegetables against all of the kombucha brewers. That's what's yeah. That's what's not perfectly clear to uh, to us <laughs> at at this point. We're going to find out when the awards are given this year around. Well, the competition is heating up. Yes, January. Yeah. I want to go back a little bit to these uh, stainless steel wine tanks that you, you talked about. And that was actually the first time I ever came across your business was when I was researching those tanks and people that are, were using them. And I found a Whole Foods blog post where you're posing next to these, these tanks. <laughs> these really expensive stainless steel Italian wine tanks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like what, like, so for people that maybe are familiar with fermenting in mason jars or in crocks, you know, what's the benefit? Obviously, if someone's going to be at scale, that's the main difference. But like, what's, what's the reason for using these as opposed to just getting even more giant ceramic crocks or otherwise? There, there comes to a point where with the, with those crocks, you know, the, the larger, the largest you can get is a 40 liter crock. And even at the 30 liter, it's, it, it's, it's a heavy, it's a heavy crock. And when you're trying to maintain that and clean that, you can only go so large with the uh, with the the harsh crocs or the ceramic crocs, and and that's when our eyes were opened to these these stainless steel tanks. But those have been a challenge in the along the way as well. You know, from a hundred liter to two hundred liter, and you're with the two hundred liter ones, you're picking those up. You know, a person could actually fit inside that the way that they're shaped you could go swimming in this thing and uh even picking that up and trying to maintain this 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 tank is a is a challenge the other part is where they only bring so many of them in from italy every year they're not you can't 
they're not made here and we've even tried to have them manufactured uh, here and they just can't do it to the, the same degree or the same quality as these ones that have been done for hundreds of years in Italy. The reason the Italian tanks are so, are so incredible is that they don't rust or they don't pit and we learned that along the way as we jumped to these big what we thought were stainless cook pots and they were but we've learned there's over 200 different qualities or um, types of stainless steel so um, if you if you're trying to just if you go get a commercial stock pot the the the, the acidity which you know our kraut gets down to about 3.7 pH it will these those you know non professional grade or non good good quality stainless steel will pit out so that's why we made that jump up to those those the wine tanks because they're not going to pit. Well, there's also something else interesting about them is I I've never seen it in person. So I'm, I do have the kind with the inflatable balloon kind of thing to keep it airlocked. Yeah, so that that's a that's a variable capacity lid. And the idea is no matter how much product you put in there, whether it be wine or sarco or kimchi, uh, that that lid can actually be put right down to the level, just just above the level of the product, and then that inner tube can be inflated, and then the lid stays right there. So you kind of have a weight and um, an airlock in one. It kind of seems like it. Well, it doesn't work well as a weight. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I would, we were hoping that it was going to actually work that way. But the, 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 the sauerkraut product gets so active and it can get so bubbly and it has such force that it can actually dislodge that lid as, wow. <laughs> as it expands. And, um, and it has actually happened. It, it, it's happened quite often. And that, that's the other challenge to these is that you have to, you have to maintain them uh, every day. So you have to go out and take a look and see what's, see what's going on. Sometimes the brine is actually, you know, forced up through the airlock. Um, so they just have to be uh, monitored and maintained. Wow. Even more of those, like if anyone has a, uh, romantic ideals of starting a fermented food business, <laughs> just keeps going downhill. We've got some other non-romantic stories to share. <laughs> Ooh, what, what's another good one? I mean, I just remember a story about weights. We went and got a bunch of weights. Remember that, Richard? And Oh, yeah. We... Um, like we dumbbell weights. Yeah, dumbbell weights, thinking that we could – so we sanitize them, we sterilize them, and then we put them in – we double Ziploc bagged them and then put them on top of um, a rather large amount of kraut and then, and then for our weight and then put that seal on. And the, the, everything gave out and the, the Ziplocs gave out and they got filled with, with the brine – so we pulled it out, and so here's this the weight, which I don't know what's in those weights. So we ended up throwing away a huge batch because we just looked at each other and we said, "We can't, we can't use this. We can't sell this." You know, it was that time where you, you it's a, it's an integrity check. You know, you're like, "We can't, we can't sell this now because it's possibly been contaminated from this weight." So you know. There are those kinds of things as you scale up that you that you sometimes you sometimes sometimes have because we're really working with something where there's there's no real manuals or know how to do it. So, you know, Richard's really been over the years our our production guy, and he's he's like MacGyver. He's always thinking about well, we could do this or we could do that, and 
you really have to have that creative mindset in order to, to scale something like this up. So it really sounds like in many ways, you're like perfect people to share your experiences through fresh and fermented your new cookbook. So what, what was the idea behind this? Was this always a reality? Like in the back of your mind, you knew you wanted to write a book or did it just seem like you had to share all of this stuff once you've gone through all these experiences? Well, it's funny because people call this all the time. Um, you know, like you, you know, you, you saw, you saw something and it jogged something in your mind. So we would get calls all over the, from all over the country saying, Hey, I'm starting a business. And, you know, you so want to help everybody get started. And we still talk to people all the time, but when we're, we're, we're now, we have a crew and we've got cabbage coming or we're trying to track down something it's it's hard to find an hour to sit and talk to people and tell them everything you've been learning over the last two years <laughs> you know um but i feel like richard's got a whole book in him on on growing a small food company but the book was really um uh, a situation where over the years of talking with people about these foods we'd be sitting at the farmer's market and i can't tell you how many people would just come up a wow, I can't wait to go get some brats and eat this with my brats. And we'd be sitting there going, but wait, you should just be eating it every day. It's, it tastes so good and it's so good for you. So, um, it, it, our, it, our it, first t-shirt, our first t-shirt based on just that time is it's not just for sausage anymore. And that, that's what we're, uh, we have all these t-shirt ideas, but it used to frustrate us. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, in your book, you cover so many different ways to use ferments. I, and like in, in my home, I use so many different ferments in different ways. And yeah, it's like, these aren't just, you know, they're not just condiments. They're not just, um, for brats. They're, they're for everything. Um, and I think that's what you convey really well in, in your book. And what was the, what was the process with the, the book? Did you split it 50, 50? Like, did you, did you both work on it equally or did you each bring different strengths to it? The challenge for that is that we still had a company that uh, that that needed to be run, and Julie's focus was on the on the marketing side of the company. So when Sasquatch Publishing called us and said we've been watching what's been going on in the market, and we would love to write a fermentation book with you guys, uh, you know the light went off. Well, you know there's a lot of fermentation books that are out there. But what's been happening organically is these recipes that have been, been developed of how to use this, this kraut as an ingredient and not just a, a topping like we, like we were talking about. And so Julie drove the project of putting the, the cookbook together, writing the cookbook, working on the recipes, and I'll let her take over. Well, you know, it's, it's funny, Brandon, because the first, the first real recipe that came out um, that sort of started this whole idea of the cookbook was kimchi, which is basically kimchi and cream cheese blended up together, and you can jazz it up a little bit with some goat cheese and some green onions and more garlic. But um, after we had won our first Good Food Awards, we were going to celebrate. So this is this is four years ago. We were going to Theo Chocolate, which is a local company here, who had also won a Good Food Award, and Pike Brewing and Deluxe Jams were other small well, not so small food companies, and we were going to this celebration, and I remember pulling all the food together and going, there were, people are going to just want to eat sauerkraut at this event. We need something kind of savory and something kind of creamy. And for some reason, I, I saw a brick of cream cheese, and I just thought, what about kimchi and cream cheese, and I'll get a baguette. And that, that came out of a five-minute, we need something better. Um, so I threw, the, I threw it in the blender. I ran out the door. 
um, got down to our event and my friend's daughter was there helping and I said, here, will you make a name tag for this? And she goes, well, what's in it? And I, I told her and she goes, how about we call it Kim Cheese? So that was really our first sort of value added product we made. And then, you know, it just sort of, I have two boys who just don't eat this stuff. They're 14 and 16 and they, they, they've watched all this happen over the years, you know, the last nine years when I've been fermenting at home and they're just like, God, mom, why can't you be making pie or cookies or something different? (laughs) So, so anyway, I was always trying to come up with some other things and smoothies are the easiest way to sort of sneak some of this crowd in there and, and have a really palatable, enjoyable smoothie. Yeah. How these smoothies, that's something that, that, uh, drew me into the book a lot because I make smoothies every single morning for my family. We make yogurt smoothies with some heirloom yogurts mm-hmm. and whatnot. And what I, I do remember one time I did add sauerkraut, you know, a couple of years ago and it just didn't really turn out so well because I think looking at your recipes, I was adding too much. So yeah. how, what's your, uh, your key to making smoothies with fermented vegetables that most people will enjoy? If you think about yogurt, you know, like just a classic fruit, a fruit smoothie, seems like most people would maybe put a little bit of yogurt in there. And yogurt's fantastic, especially when it's made the way that that we all like, you know, the good, the good, healthier way. But so much of the yogurt out there has got so much sugar in it or it's pasteurized and then they add cultures back in. And I feel like if you just put a little bit of nut milk and maybe a tablespoon of a plain kraut in there. So you're, you're getting the sour and you're getting the kind of the creaminess from a nut milk. You can just substitute that right in there where you would a yogurt and you're not going to overpower. You're not going to overpower it. So if you're trying to do a sweet smoothie, I would say just make sure you have a kraut without very much, um, with no seasoning. Um, if you want to go on the savory side, for example, like a, a gazpacho type smoothie, you know, with cucumbers and tomatoes and stuff, then you can throw your kimchi or your spicier krauts in there. And then, you know, think of it as more of a cold soup than a smoothie. But um, that's just, I look at it as it's just your, your acidity. And we have acidity in so much of our food. And so whether it's a citrus or, you know, a vinegar-based smoothie, you can always just substitute sauerkraut in lieu of vinegar. And is that something that your your two boys will enjoy as well? Is, is that something that can trick them into eating from well, yeah, and I, yeah, yeah. I mean, they will with the fruit smoothie, but but they, you know, and, and again, it's not like I'm really trying to trick them. It's just kind of a, <laughs> a, a standing joke in our house because I'm like, really, you guys? And I always say that, you know, some girl is, you know, they're going to start dating a girl sometime who thinks this is such a cool little, you know, fermented foods are so cool. And then all of a sudden they're going to be into it. But um, that's really the only thing I can get. I can also get them to do some of the desserts, which is, um, you know, we have a great chocolate pudding and some brown rice pudding and a f- quite a few other crazy desserts in there. Well, they're actually not so crazy. But if you take a jar of our classic kraut or just some plain sauerkraut, it doesn't have any seasoning, um, and you blend it, and so it's like the texture of applesauce, then you can take that and stir in, you know, maybe a tablespoon or maybe maybe even a little bit less into, say, your chocolate pudding after it's been cooked and cooled. And then you can drop in a little bit of dried coconut, and that, that 
that texture of the coconuts kind of sort of help disguise the, you know, that little bit of texture. But it just adds this really fresh and delightful sort of zip to your, you know, heavy, heavier desserts. And just to add to something Julia was saying there, the, the idea of waiting till to, to the product, what, you, what you've made has cooled a bit. Because people have asked us about that. So hold on, it's a cookbook. You're going to cook your kraut? Well, aren't you killing the good bacteria? And if you do cook your kraut, like a lot of German recipes do, yes, you are killing that active bacteria. But if you are uh, making or heating or cooking your your main ingredient and you let that cool a bit and then uh, then add the kraut afterwards, then, then you're not... Or if you just add it, you know, um, you stir it into the the soup as you're as you're serving it, then uh, then you're then you're not you're preserving the the good back the good bacteria. So that that's key. Well, and we have a like, we have a pea and prosciutto risotto risotto recipe in there, and again, it's just this really lovely you know simple classic prosciutto uh, risotto recipe. But we saute some of the some of the kraut with the prosciutto first to kind of caramelize it and, and make that tasty little topping that you're going to put on there. And we call that, I always call that the sacrificial kraut when, you, when you're cooking a little bit to get that extra flavor and texture in there. But then once you're done, that, that's when you can stir in some of the stuff that's all blended up. And it's kind of like squeezing a lime or a lemon on it just to jazz it up a bit. So just to, just to clarify, so it seems are most of the recipes no heat really applied to the, uh, no harmful Correct. heat per- applied? Correct. Most, I, I would say probably 80% is it's all raw. You know, like a lot, there's a lot of great salads in there, you know, a forbidden rice salad with carrots, you know, with the chopped up yin yang carrots and we have a curried quinoa salad. So there, there's some sushi, a lot of really simple, you know, sandwiches and rolls and wraps to, and in some fabulous breakfasts, you know, one of my favorite ways to eat kimchi is every morning with sauteed onions and kale and maybe a little sausage or hash browns and a fried egg and some avocado and a big pile of kimchi and kind of just keeps you going through the day. The goal to all this as another one of our t-shirts was to truly make people think kraut of the box and and so when you're thinking kraut and dessert or kraut in a smoothie or, or what have you, it's, it, it's again, it's just to open up your mind just to, to try it. And then people are coming back to us and going, "Hey, I made my own recipe and I put this. I put the kimchi in it. It's absolutely incredible." And um, and so that that just makes us smile when when people start doing that. Now you've mentioned a few times these T-shirts. Is this something that you've actually made and are available, or like things that you're going to do in the future? They're coming. Okay, they're coming. <laughs> Will they be available to people outside of your region? Like, would people go online? Absolutely. I'll put them. Yes. <laughs> You know, that's one of the things that we struggle with is is shipping kraut. You know, we have we get so many calls from all over the place. Even we've gotten calls from London and one day two different calls came in from Germany. Somebody wanted to take some kraut to their kid who was living in Germany cuz they they're so used to ours and they wanted it over there and then somebody else was traveling to Germany and they wanted to take a case over there to share with their relatives. So um, shipping kraut can be a little bit challenging. So 
if we go down that t-shirt path, they, they're, they're definitely easy to mail. Definitely. And well, I guess this is maybe a good time to talk about where are your, your fermented vegetable products available? What regions? So we're available throughout the, throughout the West coast of the U S and, and Canada, um, actually kind of over into to central Canada and, and we're growing into new regions with, uh, with whole foods and then expanding out from there as the, as the interest, interest grows. So all the way from, all the way from, well, all the way from, uh, Alaska, all the way down to San Diego is, uh, is where we're available. Wow. And it sounds like with the, the incorporation with Whole Foods, that would help with the, the shipping aspect to get it farther if you, if you do stretch out? It, one would hope. It, uh, it, that's still a challenge. And that's still a, that, that's part of learning this business as you start to distribute and go further. Kind of like we were talking about in the beginning, you do have to sell a lot of food to pay the bills because margins are, are tight. And also people aren't used to paying the real price of food. Um, you know, food done right, grown right, produced right, is is or can be expensive and uh and people aren't used to that and so that that's that's part of the challenge as well and i think it'll be exciting to hear if you, if you do spread out further because i've never actually tried uh any of your fermented vegetables but uh you know it's it's just just the reality right now it's like it is difficult i mean you have a live product you have glass and um, it's it's an interesting challenge, but I think it's great that you're able to spread as far as you are. Um, that's that's a larger region than I even thought you were in. So that's that's well, awesome. We have a, a great uh, website on our website. The, there's a you can type in your zip code and see the store closest to you, and and that's actually really helpful for people. And we are experimenting with some different ways to figure out so we can ship stuff. But every time you we get so excited about all these different avenues to go, and you know even different things to make and. Um, it's, it's hard because you, you got to stay focused on your baby <laughs> and that's, you know, the seven products that we have. You got to stay busy hauling those <laughs> 200 liter steel tanks around. Well, I know it's funny. I always think, oh, I keep hearing about these weight bearing exercises I'm supposed to be doing as an aging woman. And I shouldn't say really aging, but we all are right. And, and then every, and I, I'm not a gym person, and every time I'm at the kitchen and I'm hauling cases of crowd or just moving stuff around, I'm like, this is my weight-bearing exercise. You know, we it's like nonstop physical work. Definitely. I mean, you get your, your health from the, the food that you're making, and you get your exercise, too. It sounds like a yeah. good deal. Exactly. Yeah. So where should people go online? You mentioned your website. Um, where should people go to find out more about uh, both Firefly Kitchens and Fresh and Fermented, the book? So fireflykitchens.com is our site. And there they'll be able to click on the various links. They can learn more about fermented foods. They can learn more about Firefly Kitchens and, and also more about the, the book as well. The books are out there um, where books are sold. It's definitely available on larger, you know, the Amazon, Barnes & Noble sites and um, Probably more, you know, healthier, healthier food stores. Random House is the distributor, so hopefully it's it's far and wide, um, and people shouldn't have problems finding it. And we always just say, just ask your your local bookstore to bring it in if if um, it's not where you see it. 
Excellent. Well, I, great work with the book. I mean, I, I, I'm really excited to try some of these different recipes. I think other people need to get out and try them. And I guess in, in closing, uh, do you have any thoughts for how listeners can push themselves to incorporate even more fermented vegetables into their lives? Well, I, I think that if you just think about all the foods that you eat, if you just sit down and you think about your meals, you think about all the, the, the salads that you eat, this food just goes so easily in a salad. If you don't like the bigger, stringier texture, chop it up, mince it up so it's small, and sprinkle it in. But we have customers that just have a jar of kraut in their work fridge, and they go through a jar a week as their salad dressing. So they put a big scoop on and then drizzle some oil of their choice, and boom, their salad's done. Um, you know, of course, it's always a good accompaniment. You know, think of it as a side dish almost to anything. Um, all those hors d'oeuvres that people eat all the time. One of my favorite things are the tapenades. Like try the sun-dried tomato tapenade at some point. And you can you can sun-dried tomatoes and a, a good simple sauerkraut, blend it up with some garlic and some parsley, throw in um, kalamata olives, and you just get the most gourmet, divine hors d'oeuvre that's full of sauerkraut. And you don't even taste the sauerkraut because the richness of the olives and the sun-dried tomatoes come through. So that's what I would encourage people to do is just think about what they eat every day and how they can get a little bit of fresh, you know, fresh flavors in there through the kraut. And the, the part that I'll add to that is with, with children and setting their palates when they're young. So my kids have been eating this. My two girls who are now 10 and 13 have been eating this all their lives. Um, in, in various, you know, from from just a, a classic kraut all the way through to now they open the fridge and get the, the kimchi out. And so it, it's a matter of, you know, opening their minds and ideas of how to incorporate this into the into the food that they're eating. Kimchi uh, and, and peanut butter, of all things, you know, actually makes an amazing spread. But, you know, it also makes a, an amazing peanut butter and, and kimchi on toast. Kind of freaky, but, you know, if your palate... <laughs> Is set to, set to eat that. Uh, you hear you're getting the the health nature of that uh, right right from the beginning, and so they're they get all excited about coming up with their own their own ideas of what they can do with this food, and not even thinking about what it's doing to their their gut. But every time they're opening that jar, that's where my mind goes. It's like man, you you're getting the start just from the beginning of your life to uh, of this uh, this your this healthy food and your and uh, just creating or helping to uh, pr- improve the the health of your gut. There's there's also a, a PBC recipe in the book, which is basically what Richard said. It's it's peanut butter and kimchi blended up with some tamari and some other stuff, and which is a satay sauce. Think about what's in a satay. So you can use that for your broccoli or your chicken, um, whatever. It's just a rich, creamy sauce that's just, if you blend, utilize your blender in your food processor because you can get really creative with, with ways to incorporate this into everyday meals. Yeah, and I'll back up the kimchi peanut butter thing. It is delicious. <laughs> Those things just go together so well. But, but Richard, it really sounds like, so your two daughters are into the fermentation and uh, your two sons, Julie, are not. So <laughs> so it seems like there's there's hope that my two-year-old uh, may get back into more fermented foods, but uh, it might go either way. So this is kind of a toss-up. I'm kind of concerned now. No, 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 no. You're starting. This is the perfect age. In fact, I have a great story about the best temper tantrum I've ever seen or 
uh, we were at the farmer's market and a little 18-month-old walked over and I kept giving this small child little samples of carrots. And so the mom was like, I guess I better buy some of these. They walked away and, you know, 15 seconds later, I heard this big kind of screaming meltdown like a kid would be would do when they couldn't have a sucker or some candy. And the mom comes running back and she says, I can't get this jar open and she really wants some more. And I just thought, yes, we paid it. <laughs> Kids love fermented foods. Those stories keep you going. <laughs> hey, and that story, I think, is a perfect place to close. So thank you so much, Julie Richard. Thank you so much for joining me today. All right. Thank and, you. And thank you, Brandon. So you'll find all the links that they mentioned in the show notes at firmup.com slash podcast slash 91. And as always, you can reach me on Twitter at firmup, on Facebook at Firm Up and anywhere else at Firm Up. Until next time, Firm Up!